Welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full-time to game-time. Coors Light, made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Blake Murphy, Alex Wong. Today on the show, we have three guests for you. Uh, as we go around the league, uh, we're going to bring in Eric Nem. Eric, name? Name. Name. Come on, man. Eric Name. He'll be here in person uh, as uh, we tee up the Bucks and sort of how that's going. Uh, they got Dame. We didn't. Congratulations. Woohoo. Um, they got our former assistant coach as well. Uh, a bunch of former assistant coaches. That's right. You're right. Pat Matumbo. I know you're, that's one of your faves. Yeah. Maybe, former maybe 905 head coach. Maybe catch him on the show eventually sometime. Soon, soon. I think they play, play the Bucks again very soon. Yeah. Great. So we'll awesome. make that happen. Awesome. Uh, we have Mark Stein coming in. Steiny Mo. Steiny Mo. You know. Yeah. Uh, and then what? We have Tim Bontemps as well. Tim Bontemps, TBD. Tim Bontemps. If if Tim ah, answers yeah, my French French Canadian. If Tim answers my text, um, so TBD. Oh, no, he'll be on. He'll be All on. right. Well, if he's not there, <laughs> Alex will be here. Uh, and then yeah, first segment though, we're gonna talk just a little bit about last night's game and also check in on, uh, you know, how the point five offense is looking after four games. Obviously, it's looking bad, but maybe there's some promising signs of it looking better. Blah blah blah. Do do we have to do the last part? Can't we just like call that a point five segment and spend just half a second on it? It technically is a point five segment because we're only giving it ten minutes. But yeah. God. You guys want to talk about that Team Canada new sponsorship no. that they announced with the Raptors? No. No? You, oh, okay. Look. I, I gave a space for it. It's cool, I guess. Okay. Uh, so for anyone who didn't hear, the Raptor logo will now be on the shorts of the women's senior national team. Yes. They are about to play in Colombia next week, trying to qualify for an Olympic qualifying tournament. The qualification process on the women's side is a bit more convoluted. and has multiple steps. Canada's in pretty good shape. They're the fifth-ranked yeah. country in the world. They only have to finish top two out of four in this short event to, to move on. But they'll have the Raptor logo, um, you know, who aesthetically cool. The response that I got on Twitter when I put this out there is 30 people replying is like, this is not a WNBA team, yeah. uh, which is, yeah, they didn't, they're not getting a WNBA team. I still think it's nice for the Canadian senior women's team to have that kind of support and branding. Um, also, it came with, you know, a big MLSE launchpad event with, for girls in the city with a bunch of the national team players there. So, uh, yeah, I understand people will roll their eyes at the non-WNBA nature of it, but don't sleep on the the positivity yeah. around the the women's national team. Yeah. By the way, my pop, my poppy fell while while I was running to to be here for two p.m. Just want no, don't people, show my camera. For just people to know that. The rest of the segment. Um, all respects. So last night, a couple of games. You know, the one I focus on was uh, Spurs. Sons, mm. little Victor Wambayama. I know you were watching this game too because we were actually texting about it during the game. <laughs> I think it's the first time we've had. Do we've I had have this to happen. text you every time I watch basketball? What if I just watch bat? What if I just like watching basketball in the corner like Blake when he turns on the Orlando Magic? Yeah, yeah. how about that? Um, we're gonna get to the Orlando so Magic a little bit. Related to Wemby, though, um, yeah. so Lindsay Adler, our friend from the Wall Street Journal, yeah, ha- wrote a piece last night. So the the game is right next to where Game Four of the World Series was taking place. The oh. Texas Rangers were up 10 nothing on the Arizona Diamondbacks to go up uh, 3-1 in the series. The Arizona almost came back, um, but a ton of people left the World Series game because they had Wemby tickets. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so there's a piece up at Wall Street Journal about like those people who were like, yeah, I'll forego my chance at seeing, you know, they're probably going to lose, but what if it's the greatest World Series comeback ever? Yeah. Uh, and instead checked out Wemby. Uh, Ali Khan was there too. Yes, Ali Khan is doing some stuff for the Blue Jays in the fall league, yeah. I believe. So he was there. Ali Khan's everywhere. Your man. Ricky Tiedemans, your Damiano Palmegianis. 
What? what? Yeah. What it's kind J- of cheeses and I ordered, fine I ordered meats that, are these? I ordered that with what? my DoorDash sponsorship the first year. <laughs> in one Tyler night. Tyler Capricolo is All of next, that is like, to say, yeah. Um, Gilbert Gabagool, yeah. Um, all of that is to say, the excitement is really, really high in visiting arenas yes, when yes, Wemby yes, comes yes. to town. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I've been checking the calendar to, to see when Wemby's coming to town. January 12th? Okay, I okay. Think. Good, uh, good to know. Um, anyway, so we know, I think most people, if they watch the game, you know, saw the finish where the the Suns were up for the entire game. 47 minutes and 58 seconds or something like that. Led by as many as 20. Yeah, 58.8 seconds. And, and, you know, Wemby has that put back and then the inbound to Durant. They're trying to foul KD. KD, I believe, looked a little bloody in the face after as well in the huddle, but no, no foul. You know, Keldon Johnson rips the ball from him, puts them ahead, and they win the game. Um, yeah, do you guys want to start there, or do you want to talk about the Spurs? Uh, no, I, I think I want to talk about um, just how cool it was to see, like, KD go at Wemby. Because mm. KD spent a lot of the time guarding Wemby, not not on the other side. Uh, it wasn't like Wemby was guarding KD all that much. Mm-hmm. Although, in a couple instances when he was guarding KD, um, KD still didn't have an issue getting a shot off. Which is cool because I think for yeah. everyone else, the mid range one at the end of the second quarter, oh. where he took him to the yep. right baseline and, and, and just kind of faded there's over a beautiful top. still photo of that, which yeah. is like amazing. No, yeah. I think that's the, that's what's really cool, right? Because I think obviously we know who's next up and we know sort of who's who's got right now, and obviously KD's got right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just kind of fun to watch. Like it, I mean, I wouldn't say it's on the level of like you know when um, when AI crossed like Jordan or anything like that. <laughs> where you know I mean? were you? I was in China and I was not aware of basketball. Just checking. Just to be man. clear, to be clear, but yeah. I've caught up on this. Fraudulent alert. No, but yeah. like you know, it, it is one of those things where the whole game was looking for those specific types yeah. of interactions. And yep. Katie stripping Wemby a couple of times, and and you know Wemby, you know, does honestly, it doesn't really look like he has like the clearest view of what he's supposed to do on offense, and yet mm-hmm. he's still super effective, and he's able to to make all these hustle plays, and he's able to cash a three, and like anything he kind of does right now is really exhilarating. So I just enjoyed that, like you know, old guard, new guard thing. Yeah, I really enjoyed that aspect of it as well. I enjoyed Wemby's comments after the game when he yep. was asked, what did you learn? And he was like, uh, that I'm not it yet. Like, mm-hmm. there's just so like much that. still to do to get to the level of a, of a Kevin Durant guy. So it certainly seemed like from his quotes that he took that as, yeah, that's an example of what I got to get to. Mm-hmm. And I've got a lot of work to get there. Will, I liked your point too about the hustle plays and the energy plays he has. Because yeah, yeah right now, when the ball's in his hand on offense, it doesn't look that great. Like he no. can do cool stuff, but he like can't the, really dribble the dribble's them. really high. Mm-hmm. He feels the, like he's dribbling up to six feet or something. Yeah, like which is, he might be because yeah. he's like eight feet tall. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you guys see his Halloween costume, by the way? Yes, the Slender Man yes. Yes. costume. I thought, yeah. thought that was yeah. very good. That was very um, cool. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm really excited to see Wemby. I, I thought it was it's always a good sign for a young player when their second half of a you have a really tough first half and you shake it off and have a much better second half. Yeah. Um, he was certainly way better in the second half of this game, even played in the closing minutes there. I mean, I think probably the headline item was Keldon Johnson and, and all the work yeah. he did in the in the second half as part of that comeback. But nice to see Wemby, um, you know, progress as the game went on and kind of figure some things out about the Suns and how they were playing. I was really um, happy for a friend of the program, um, Yuta Watanabe, of course. Mm. Yeah, he caught fire for a bit. He caught fire for a bit, but he did miss a wide-open three. That would have clinched the game. Yeah, he had that yeah. chance there in the corner. In the corner. Yeah. Which is his spot, you know? It's tough. Yeah. You go um, three for seven on the ninth, though, from three. You, you, listen, you know, I was watching okay Utah, and I'm like, look, I know this Asian is like— Asian parent standards, baby. I know, I know Utah's my personal uh, Jeff Doughton Jr., but, like, 
Come on, you gotta give Utah better than that. No, but like I'm watching, I'm like, yeah, why, why can't we have him on the Raptors? Like, you know, but whatever. That's yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, a conversation for two. Well, years. I'm also looking at the Spurs, and I'm like, even if you remove uh, Victor Wembanyama, clearly, like they have a lot of exciting young players, man. And, and yeah, they're like, awesome. Name, name Devin Vassell. Mm, what do you like about him? Trey Jones. What do you like about Trey Jones? Uh, Jeremy, how do you pronounce his last name properly? Sohan. Sohan. Gohan. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy Gohan. Uh, who's that guy? Did Mal- I pronounce his name right? Malcolm. Brockman. Um. Anyways, <laughs> are you talking about Malachi, Malachi Branham? Yeah, Malachi Branham. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Uh, anyways, not a hoop. You didn't even get in a Chetty Osman. That's one you should know from yeah. the, the Cavs battles. Chetty Osman. I wasn't being really that. familiar with your game. <laughs> you weren't familiar with the whole team. <laughs> I wasn't really familiar with your name. Um. But yeah, I'm looking at this, and you know, I've, I publicly declared that the Spurs are going to win a title in three years, and you know, I'm thinking about this. It's like. This is just such a great year for these guys to like get into these games like last night, mm-hmm. figure out what their roles are for the front office, for Pop to see like what else they need to add. Like, yo, by the way, shouts to Pop. Mm-hmm. Called the timeout at eleven oh seven in the first quarter. Wow. Yeah. Two that's, possessions. That's the Suns got like I think the Spurs yeah. turn it over first possession. Mm-hmm. Suns broke and dunked. Uh, another play where the Spurs got nothing, and then the Suns got a layup, and then mm-hmm. Pop's like, nope, timeout already. Yeah, Literally less know. than a minute into the game. I don't know. I know. I know it's early. It's like what four games in for them. Um, but it's like. Yeah, I'm excited to see how this team's going to grow. Like, not just Wemby, yeah. but, like, just the whole squad that they have right now. Yeah, we'll see how things work out. Obviously, things can change. But right now, the core that you're looking at, everyone except for Osman and McDermott are under contract for next year. Hmm. So, like, this is a young team that is going to have some cap flexibility because of, like, Vassell's small cap hold before the extension kicks in and thing, and just they don't have a lot of salary on the books. Um, so they're going to have a little bit of cap space to add to this group and also have that connectivity of all these young pieces together building year over year and i think like all of these guys that we're talking about are 25 and under and they have our pick um, I, <laughs> I, I, sure I didn't want to mention that no but <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. this is always fascinating to me because like i think about like luka Doncic too in dallas like you've seen like how many years luka's been in the league like how dallas has tried to build a team around him right and it's like i think the pressure is on the spurs to like in the next like whatever three four five years like build a proper core around him because you could screw oh, this yeah. up like yeah. Wemby could be he, he i think he's on his way probably gonna be a top five player in like i don't know three years or something like that and it's like are you gonna mess it up in terms of like what pieces you're putting around also him? like nobody cares about this side of things but the way the cap the way a salary capped league works is you want a time you know you're spending years for while Wemby is still on his rookie contract mm. and this is something the mavs did a good job of even if you don't like how they they've built around him with the specific pieces, mm. they made sure that they used the cap flexibility when they could. And hey, if we're a tax team or we have big salaries to trade for Kyrie Irving. Again, even if you don't like the move, you can like the strategy where the Spurs are probably looking at, you know, three years from now. That's the last year of Wemby on his rookie deal. You know, uh, they, these other guys, Johnson, Sohan, um, Vassell will be, you know, still, I mean, Vassell will be on his, his mini max deal, but the rest of these guys will still be reasonably affordable. Um, you certainly want to strike there rather than, you know, kind of year nine when Wemby's coming up again and then we'll be like mega max mm. eligible if things go well. So you do kind of want to support, e- as long as he's there close to year mm-hmm. three, year four, that's when you want to start spending around a, a good young core. Yeah. The, the guys on that team, the, the ghost Raptors on that team, Keldon Johnson, that was the pick that we gave that's in right. the Kawhi trade, which obviously that was a great trade. Uh, Malachi Branham. Yeah, my is, guy. Yeah. Uh, is the guy that's... Uh, the Thad Young one. The Thad Young trade. And then oh, we'll see God. who they take this year. Yeah. So those will be Wemby's teammates for a long time. I swear to God, if they get Wemby's sidekick for the next 20 years with like the eighth pick... But we got Thad Young's veteran leadership. We have three Thad Youngs right now. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to add on the Sun side? 
You guys saw oh, you know, Bradley they, Beal and Devin Booker weren't didn't I, play. I know, yeah. But like they just I don't really feel like they have a identity, you know. Like it's mm. there's a kind of a lack of athleticism. They they I feel like they shot the three wall yesterday and that's something that they they're Role guys can do. Even Nurkic was banging two threes in the fourth yeah. quarter. Grayson Allen was really hot. Grayson Allen, Eric Gordon taking those like thirty-five foot catch and shoot threes that he's known for. Um, and just then, want Eric Gordon to smile, you know. You gotta smile more. Well, I, I call him the dime because his head is is, is perfectly round. <laughs> what? Like, he, he, let's keep working on that one. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, still, like, I, I just feel like there's just not enough the rest of the way. But I mean, like, it yeah, is but we knew it. that. Though. But no Booker, no Beal, and this yeah. is this is also, why Katie I felt by himself. I don't. I don't feel like you he's took the under. Right? I took the. It was my my most confident one was taking the yeah. under oh, on. Lo- I think you, it was 50, you, locked, you locked it. Yeah, I think it was oh, fifty four nice. and a half wins, and like it's only wow. four games. It's two wow. and two. Yeah. But like, do, yeah. do you think they're gonna care? No, as long as they get to the playoffs. Like they're, I, I okay. think you're gonna see right. nights like this where they're, uh, they're a little sleepy. No, I'm totally with you. Let's, um, let's quickly check in on the other games if you guys want to talk about um, anything specific, and then we can get to this point five offense checkup. Uh, yeah. The Knicks went into Cleveland and, and and blew out the Cavaliers. This is obviously a playoff rematch. Uh, Will, uh, you know, any Ooh. thoughts on this matchup? Oh uh, well, you know what my thoughts on this matchup were. You know, I was, I was really excited going into this one um, because of the fact that. Uh, you know, it is it is a rematch. And l- listen, like, you know, the, the the Cavs didn't have all their guys. You know, like not having Garland, not having Allen is is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did like the way Evan Mobley was approaching this matchup. The energy, you know, he was coming out with. He said, "quote It's a big game for us. We definitely really want to get this win and really put it on them." Mm. That was before the game, and in the game, three of nine from the field for six points. You're saying you're saying Evan Mobley disappointed you again. No, I, I just mean that, like, you know, I, I think offensively, uh, it's, it's been a little bit of a up and down kind of thing for him. Sure. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because the Knicks have a really, really good matchup against the Cavs. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily anything that's, like, spacing or even what they're running. It's just, like, they bully him. You know, mm-hmm. like, even on plays there that um, aren't even in the box score, it'll be, like, uh, you know, just a block out under the basket for a free throw. Okay. You see Julius Randle, like, giving him two, like, little shoves. Mm. And Evan Mobley is, uh, uh, you know, standing on the sideline with the referee at that point. <laughs> you know, he just can't physically hold up against these guys. So, yeah. I mean, again, for someone who's second in defensive player that you're voting, I just, I don't know. Uh-oh. I mean, like, can you defend, you know, anybody on the Knicks even? Yeah, Blake, so, is there, should we be putting the Patrick Beverly, uh, they have no dogs alert on Cleveland? They, or what's going why on? Why not have any dogs? I mean, Donovan Mitchell is, is a dog. Is it dog alert? Them? Is it dog alert time? Nah, I don't think so. I mean, I've been pretty underwhelmed by the defense so far. That that was why we were confident about them. Yes, like, they that, were such a good defense last year. They were second in net rating on the season. Well, once again, um, they really suffer without Jared Allen, who might yeah. have a bigger defensive impact than Evan Mobley. Second, in it's also like years, if your system is designed player. around two huge guys like mm. that, you know, it's a little tough for, okay. I don't know, who would have been playing there, Isaac Okoro last night or Dean Wade as the de facto yeah, for Dean, your, your Dean guy. Wade was not hitting. Yeah. It's not the same. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's tough. That's a big drop off <laughs> defensively. And uh, I love seeing Tristan Thompson back in the NBA playing minutes. But <laughs> I, I don't, 19 minutes. I don't know. Wait, hold on. 20 right. minutes. He's back on the Cavs? Played 19 yeah. minutes last night. Oh, my God. Okay. Is he wearing skims? The skims reaper? Yeah. Oh, um Anyways, <laughs> these are my takeaways. I just wanted to okay. slander Evan Mobley a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah. I mean, listen, he's obviously a, he's a good player, emerging, young, no, it's, coming up. You're but. just calling out stats. The um, Knicks are also a really good regular season team, right? Like, they're a team that's well-equipped to beat you if you don't have your best, yeah. if you're missing a piece that night. Like, they're yeah. going to win 45 games. That's, that's maybe, that Thibodeau. Maybe that's even that a little model, higher right? than that because yeah. they're a really solid team. I don't, yeah. I don't think they yeah. have a ton of, like, playoff upside is currently constructed, but they are well-built to beat you if you're not on your game. The funniest thing about watching the Knicks, because um, we're going to go to this 
0.5 offense check up on the Raptors. Yes. But I watched the Knicks and I'm like, they don't have any misconceptions of what they're going to do offensively. Mm. It's going to be Jalen Brunson cooking one-on-one or mm-hmm. in a pick and roll. Yeah. The whole time when he's on the floor. Otherwise, it's uh, Julius Randle doing his little wiggles or like three-point shots or whatever. <laughs> really Mr. Wiggles. <laughs> yeah, he does love wiggling. No, and, but like, and then the bench is just quickly drives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Like, no, hey, they remind me. They remind no, me of like, yeah. There's no like abstraction. No, no. Yeah. It's like it's like what was it was like watching the Dwayne Casey Raptors. Yeah. It was Kyle and Demar. Yeah. And and occasional JV post. No, they, that's they, it. Yeah. They remind me of like a '90s or early 2000s team where yeah. you exactly know what the one-two options are. Yeah. And like that's it. Like yeah. they're gonna play that way. Yep. And they're either gonna win or lose. Um. Anyways. Uh, throw it back to you, Will, here for this .5 offense checkup. We're, we're here for this doctor's appointment for this checkup, man. Got What's you. good? What's good? Yeah, so yeah, just looked up a couple of numbers. Oh, God. We'll love for your thoughts, Blake's thoughts, on sort of just what the .5 offense kind of looks like currently right now. I see a lot of 30th here. There's a lot of 30th, but there's also a lot of firsts. So okay, let's, okay. let's go through the macro stats. So obviously we know that the Raptors are not scoring well. They're currently 30th in the NBA right now in points per game and 99.5, right? Mm-hmm. Um we have teams, by the way, uh, leading the league right now, Sacramento and Dallas, at 125.3 points. So the Raptors are at 99.5. Raptors are 30th in offensive rating at 100.8. And, Blake, you added in here, Raptors are 30th in half-court offensive rating at 77.1. Those are the macro stats. That's just in general. Let, let me hear your thoughts there before I give you some of the tracking stats. And, and maybe even a case of why the Raptors should actually be a lot better than this, just based on some bad luck. I just think it's a great day for analytics when the numbers match the eye test perfectly. They oh, are yeah. really, really bad offensively right now. Okay. I don't know that they're like, I don't think they're going to finish the season with an historically bad half court offense, but I think those numbers reflect what we've all been seeing in these four games and been frustrated by. Okay. Yeah. And I think adding to Blake's point too, like this was a big concern coming into the season, right? Like there was a lot of excitement in the preseason. You know, obviously we dressed up the team a little differently, new coach, you know, new mm. starting point guard. But you look at the overall roster and it was the exact same questions about the offense, right? So is it really a surprise like four games in that they're here? I mean, I I think so. I think they are definitely working through something entirely different. Sure. And there is something of a, you know, you could tell there's not necessarily a clarity on sort of whose turn is it to go. Mm -hmm. That's why I brought up the point about the Knicks. The Knicks know exactly what whose turn it is and what they're doing and what everyone else is doing around them. And it gives them that clarity. Um, you don't really see that right now. So those are the macro stats, uh, sure. the tracking stats. So this is just like cameras in the arena and they track things like how many passes you make, how many dribbles you make. So in, in that regard, the Raptors are first in the NBA in passes made per game at 315.5. Oh, raise, raise the banner, baby. Wait, yeah. We pass more than any other team. Okay. Mm. We are six in the league in potential assists. So Potential. Potential. <laughs> Potential assists. We've been talking about potential assists for like what five years. We, we need How about po- we some need potential po- buckets, man? Need, Yo, this stuff makes me so mad right potential now. Potential assists. For anyone who doesn't There's know, no way, is, man. Obviously, all the actual assists you have, plus all these shots that you missed off of a pass. No, man. I do is- think it's Alex. I, I get that it's not a good stat individually at the team level. It's hey, how many of your field goal attempts I, are you self-creating no, that's versus fair. That's fair. versus yeah, that's is the fair. team creating? I'm just dying at this this no, existence. Oh, if anyone ever uses secondary assist to like argue player stuff or something like that, no. But it's it's a helpful descriptor. How far are we away from potential buckets, man? Uh, where, where, that's just field goal attempts. <laughs> like, what just, are we doing? Let's just keep going. All right, uh, we have Raptors are third in fewest dribbles per touch. Mm. So whoever's getting the ball, then not dribbling all that much. Okay, swinging it, swinging it. They're swinging the ball. And then the Raptors are third in seconds per touch, so they're not holding on to the ball either. Swinging, swinging. Yeah. 
Okay. Your thoughts on these tracking stats so far and the point five offense? To me, that's it's a suggestion that the offense is actually happening. Like the players are putting that effort in to try to. Yeah, execute. I think it's a good buy-in stat. Guys I are bought agree. into yeah. it and they're trying to do the stuff. But I think that anytime, like this is the thing with with pace mm. in general too, right? It's not a good or a bad thing. Passing more is not necessarily a good or a bad thing. We could juice the passing numbers by the three of us taking no dribbles and no seconds and just quickly passing it back and forth. That's and what the some, bench does. Sometimes it has looked like that, right? Like God. DHO on one side, yeah. it's not there. Pass it, swing it. DH, yeah. or DHO or going to a pick and roll, that's it. Like it, it's not a goal in and of itself. I think it's a good indicator guys are at least trying mm -hmm. the new system and, and that part is good. But guess what? If you created an advantage on that first pass or first DHO, yeah. then you wouldn't have to have the most dribbles because or the most passes because you'd find that advantage earlier on. I think on average, the, the Raptors are shooting outside of transition, shooting with less time left on the shot clock, uh, which is, you know, I think backed up by those numbers yeah. as well because it seems like, yeah, they're bought in and they're passing a lot. But a little bit of that stat is it's taken them a while to find a shot. Mm. Yeah, I think it's good. It's good intentions. Like this is all the stuff they talked about, right? Mm. Moving the right. ball more. Right. But these are like process stats. Like, you know, the, your macro stats, those are the talent stats to me. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay. like yeah. what's the talent on the roster? Like you swing the ball around and you've talked about this. Like what kind of advantages are they gaining? Like yeah. Gary barely pulling up for like a mid-range. Like, you know, all this stuff, like end of shot clock, like Dennis Schroeder's got to drive in and like shoot a floater over two guys. So, yeah, I don't know, man. This is all very concerning to me. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, let me give you some promising signs. So mm. I, I looked into just how the Raptors are shooting collectively from different spots on the floor, right? And I'm not looking from three because, I, look, listen, I think they're shooting like <laughs> This 30... guy just not looking No, no listen, 33% for three for the Raptors. Honestly, that's like, I, I, I expect it to be maybe 35, but like sure. that's not changing the, too much. What is standing out to me is that the Raptors are only shooting 25.8% on non-rim paint twos. So, again, so floater range, basically. Floater range, free throw uh, and, and down kind of range, what mm. David Thorpe calls the second box range. So just basically anything that isn't a layup, but inside the paint, they're shooting 25.8%. Let's just say 26%. Let's give them, let's give them a round up to 26. Um, so what that actually means is that the Raptors are shooting four uh, out of 16, essentially, on, in that area uh, in terms of attempts. The Raptors last season were at 43% in that exact range, which is closer to league mm. average. Like, no, literally, no one's going to shoot just 26%. Uh, last year, the worst in the league in the sort of non-rimmed paint twos was Charlotte at 39%. Mm. So that 44, has to be a, 44-45 league average, probably? Yeah, yeah, so that has to be a huge regression candidate, especially for the fact that the Raptors, for me, have players who can succeed at that specific area of well, the floor. Well, it's Jakob Pertl's area yep we know when pascal siakam has his spin or post game going you know sometimes those don't come at the rim they come a little further out yep. um i think that's something that could be in scotty's package and then i think it is in scotty's package he's yeah. got a good hook shot on both hands yeah um it's just you know sometimes he gets right to the rim so why right, would you, right sure sure but i think the two biggest culprits are that's yak's area mm. where whether by spacing or him just off to a cold start he hasn't hit yep. many of those and then that's the area i mentioned yesterday where when those elbow actions are happening. Gary Trent Jr. has that like elbow, free throw line elbow mm. floater available to him all the time. And he's shooting, I forget what the stat was yesterday, but it was like five for 11 on them or four for 11 or something like that. Um, okay. That's, uh, you know, against a drop coverage and a team that's focused on taking away the rim and they'll concede that. That's been there for them and they just haven't hit them. Yeah. I mean, clearly they're going to improve. They literally can't get any worse, but it's like, mm. how, how much can they get better? Um, like, I know, I understand the work in, 
work in progress type thing. Like they're, they're trying out a new system. Guys are going to get more comfortable. Yeah. I just wonder what the ceiling of this team is on offense. No, no, listen. We're not trying to get to a, a really good offense. We're yeah. trying to get to not the worst offense <laughs> Okay, in the so league, low bar. Which low is what bar. we're seeing right now. And the reason okay. I'm bringing this up because, like, again, it sounds like, okay, it's, it's just 26% versus 40, you know, 43%. What kind of difference does it make? Essentially, let's look at it in, in these terms, right? Raptors should be shooting around 7 out of 16 on these kind of attempts. Right yeah. now, they're shooting 4. That's another 6 points a game that they should be they're just leaving off the table. Right, and and that alone is going to change a a lot of the actual efficiency of the offense. And when I watch the games, I do see a lot of like, okay, Pascal misses push shot here. Mm-hmm. Dennis, for example, he keeps shooting these layups that are not actually layups. They're kind of like stretching in, and he's like mm-hmm. finger rolling from like five feet kind of things. Those things will rebound for the Raptors. And this is something that for me is not even like looking at the three point shooting and being like, well, they'll shoot better here or there. I don't have that confidence that the Raptors will shoot better, but I do have the confidence that they at least score better in the paint. Like, come on. 26% is, is terrible. Yeah, but how much is that going to get you to, man? Like the 25th yeah. That's best offense? That's another six points a game. Uh, that's fine. Six All points right. a game would bring them at two, a two and two right Yeah, now. I mean, if they're going to be a top Maybe five defense and, and a top five transition team, you only need that half-court offense yeah. to be tolerable. Now, they're going to play a Bucks team tonight that we'll get to know a little bit with, with Eric Name shortly here. That comes in 28th in defense. This is... Uh, oh. This well, is a, mm, a turns Bucks out having team a Malik Beasley, Damian Lillard backcourt could hurt your defense. Yeah, there. I mean, obviously the upside there is way, way higher. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, let's let's figure out what's what's going on there, and if maybe there's some exploitables right. within that. Well, because the Raptors are going to have to shoot from that non-rim area today, because uh, if any team yeah. protects the rim really well, it's those Milwaukee Bucks. But anyway, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll keep checking in on the the point five offense in general. This is just your first general checkup. Uh, I've been your host Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports Area Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. To be joined by Blake Murphy, and we have joining us in the studio Eric Names of the Athletic. Oh, Nana, what's my name? I did first pronounce it. Thanks for having me. And also, thanks for getting my name right. Yeah, well, those, those, you should really thank me. Yeah, I mean, we've been, we were co-workers for years, and I was, I was pretty sure, but you guys kept saying it wrong off yeah. air, so I thought I should double check hey, I appreciate uh, you. today. I really appreciate you. All right, well, um, so obviously the Bucks are in town, which is why you're in town. Yeah. Um, and obviously the big news around the Bucks is that Damian Lillard, you guys were able to swoop in and, and, and win him. I know the Raptors, I mean, Bobby Webster, Raptors GM, was on record saying it was like a largest offer we put together or something really super substantial, but obviously you guys actually won it in the end. Can you actually, just before we talk about how Damon's um, done so far in, in his first couple of games with Milwaukee, um, how did that deal come about? Because it, you didn't really hear about Milwaukee until it really happened. It was kind of gangster that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if if you're thinking about John Horst and kind of how he operates overall, like that's who he is and the, that's how he likes to do deals. Like okay. if you look All back right. a couple of years ago, the Drew Holiday deal, was kind of the same way, where it was like teams were talking about the Boston Celtics, uh, I think the Philadelphia 76ers, different, you know, Eastern contenders that he could go to, the Miami Heat. And then all of a sudden, there's just a random night and John Horst and the Bucks have Drew Holiday. And that's kind of how he likes to operate. So in reality, it's it's kind of kudos to those guys. Uh, if you look at Joe Cronin and to John Horst, just the idea that they were able to do this over a couple of weeks, figuring out, 
exactly how they're going to make it work and do all of it and keep it quiet the whole way. Like Mm -hmm. this is really something that they did a great job kind of keeping quiet and you just negotiate on the sides. Uh, I know Grayson Allen trying to figure out where he was going to go and who might want him was Mm. part of that deal because you need to make salaries work and all of that. But they managed to keep it quiet and, and pull it off. And that's always the challenge, right, with these trades is it's sometimes, I mean, look, Dame's camp when they were at the end in Portland there were pretty leaky. But a lot of times it's like, hey, you start to rope a third per, a third team in or uh, an agent for a player who's ancillary to the deal. Uh, that's where, you know, Woj or Shams does their work. Um, it's pretty impressive. And I, I get the impression that not only is that something the front office holds in esteem, but that's how Giannis likes to operate as well, announcing his own extension on Twitter and things like that. I mean, Giannis is is the same way. And also, I think part of keeping it so quiet was that I don't think the Bucks could handle the idea that we let Giannis know that we're thinking about trading Drew Holiday and then don't get a deal. Mm, yeah, like, right. Because to him, Drew Holiday is one of his favorite teammates, the dude that came in in 2021, helped push them over the top. Yep. And if you tell him... Like, hey, we're thinking about trading Drew. It's not going to be met with, like, great idea. Go for it. It's going to yeah. be met with, like, what? Like, yeah. I love that, dude. Why are you going to trade him away? So, really, it, they had to do it in secret even from Giannis. Like, and mm. uh, uh, to Blake's point, that's really where trades start to get leaked out. And you start oh, to yeah. have those situations where it's like, well, not only do we need to know, you know, the player and his agent, but also our best player and his agent need to know because we're thinking about doing this. And then also maybe the second best. So Chris Middleton's agent, he needs to know. Mm. And Chris needs to, like all of that. They didn't do. And that's why when you talk to Bucks players about this, it's, it's kind of like a two part thing where yes, they were very excited to get Damian Lillard. This is awesome. But also, they were, like, legit heartbroken and shocked right, right. that Drew Holiday got traded because that's one of their favorite teammates. Yeah. Um, I haven't been doing, like, information gathering at all, really, for my career. But the little bit I do, it, it definitely does happen more on the player side in terms of leaks than on the team side. So, I totally understand on that perspective. Okay, so, I mean, how how has he done so far? What's your what's your assessment on sort of how he's fitting in? Obviously, it's going to be a, more of a gradual process. We'll have some great games as we saw on opening night. Then a really quiet game all of a sudden. But, uh, yeah, where is he settling in so far? Uh, I mean, so game one is 39 points. That's the most points ever scored in a debut Bucks player. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. The next game, he has six points. Yeah. That's arguably talking to people around him and himself. Yeah. Maybe the worst game of his career. Probably. Yeah. May, like, So we're talking about two very different things. Was, was that the one where they were disaster defensively as well? Uh, yeah, they've been a, they've been bad defensively we'll throughout, we'll get, but okay. we can get to that. Okay. Um, but with Dame, I, I think talking with him and talking with them again today at shoot around, like they're trying to figure out how to, to do all of this because I think it's pretty easy to say Dame Giannis middle pick and roll. Mm. Let's just, you run and I that. could coach the team uh, if that's the case. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's just run that. That's all we play on 2k. And, sure. and like, I think they know that's going to work. Like it, it, right, a, okay. a high pick and roll with Damian Lillard. That's going to work. We're not super concerned about that. But what they also need to figure out is like, okay, what are other actions that take Dame off the ball for a little bit? Mm. We have Chris Middleton. We have Giannis Dettacumbo. We have Brooke Lopez. We have other people that need to touch the ball and be involved in the offense. So how do we get Dame off ball? How do we get Giannis on ball, right? Right, Like if you're bringing in two guys that have, I think it was top seven in usage last season. Yeah. both of them are going to have to figure out how they deal with off-ball, on-ball situations and do those same things. So, to me, it's felt like the offense has been good. They know that they can score when they need to score. 
but they got to figure out a lot of ways to get into these actions and, and okay. start to figure themselves out a little bit. So to me, it feels like, you know, you start big and we're going to try this and this and this and this and this. And then I would guess as the season goes, you pare some of it down and you're like, all right, this is a go-to action. This is a go-to action and, and start to figure some of that out. I would imagine the the learning curve here for the team is longer as well. And maybe this will be later in the season than we're used to when kind of stars come together because well, one, this is a rookie head coach, and two, it was dropped in his lap three days before training camp started. How how big a component is that for Adrian Griffin, who we got to know fairly well here in Toronto, first-time head coach, and what your offense and your defense are going to look like are pretty significantly different when you swap out Drew for Dame Lillard. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really hard to think about, you know, a, one thing that I, I, I shouldn't say regret, but one thing I would have liked to have is, could I see this before the trade? And I didn't even get that, right? Because three days before training camp, this trade drops and everything gets blown up. So I don't even know what the initial version of it, of it is, right? Because Adrian Griffin has talked a lot about, we want to pressure on defense. We want to force more turnovers. Drew Holiday sounds great for that. Yeah. That sounds like a great <laughs> Drew Holiday scream. Yeah. I, I, I would be very interested to see what that scheme would have looked like with Drew Holiday. I never got to see it. And now you have someone on defense in Damian Lillard who... I would say it's not he's not as bad as the numbers might suggest, but also he's a below average defender. Like the, that's just yeah, the fact of the yeah. matter. And now you want to force more turnovers. You want to have higher pressure. That can be pretty hard when there's a target for every defense on the floor in Damian Lillard. So I think it's been really difficult for them to essentially figure out like, all right, not only do we have a new coach with new schemes that you're teaching the guys that are already here for five years, but also you have this new player in Damian Lillard that's way different than Drew Holiday in everything that they do offensively and defensively. And if you thought the transition was going to be easy because Terry Stotts, who knows Damian Lillard, uh, was there, he is no longer there. Um, what, what has that been like? Like, obviously, Terry Stotts is someone pretty well respected around the NBA and someone Dame is close with. Um, that was kind of like when this trade happened, it was kind of where everyone was like, oh, yeah, the pieces do fit together because right. Stotts is there. And as awkward as that might be for Adrian Griffin to have Stotts on his staff when, when Dame comes in, that should have eased this learning curve for the team and the coaching staff in general. Uh, what happened there and what is lost in that? Yeah, I mean, talking to people around the team, I think the big thing is you're looking at an arranged marriage, right? Like Terry Stotts and Adrian Griffin didn't really know each other before any of this. Like right. they're not repped by the same agent, anything like that. Like, and obviously everyone knows everyone in the NBA, yeah. but like, they had never worked together. They had never, you know, sat down over coffee and talked about their thoughts on life and their beliefs and how they want to coach a team. So, like, that never happened. And what the Bucks had to do was, all right, we need some experience. Let's figure out who that lead assistant can be. And Terry Stotts is someone, obviously, the Bucks are very familiar with because he had been a head coach for the Bucks before and he'd been around the league for a while. So, in their mind, it was going to work. And... Just talking to people around it, I think there's a couple components. One, like, Terry has been a head coach for a long time. I think it's 13 years, four different franchises, and and you have that. You have that experience. But then on top of it, you have he's been away from the game for two years. So not only has he essentially been a head coach for 15 years, he hasn't been in the grind of a season in two years. Mm. And now he's not the guy in charge. He's one of the assistants. 
and and I think there was some aspect of this that was hard for Terry to to get back into the grind. Okay. And on top of getting back onto the grind, it was getting back into the grind as an assistant coach. And then you also have, you know, the incident that we had reported at The Athletic is, you know, there's a, a situation at practice where Adrian's like, hey, we're going to have a coach's meeting over here, everyone yeah. over here. Yeah. And Terry's like, actually, I think it's more important if I go talk to Damon Giannis right now, which that might have been the case. But if you're Adrian Griffin and you called a meeting, yeah, yeah, you can't be undermined. You can't be. You, you can't have that subordination essentially. And and the whispers around the league, in as we pick up here and we get to talk to other media members and stuff like that, is that it wasn't the first time, right? And so I think again, I wouldn't say that incident, right? Like we reported it a couple of days after it happened, um, but that incident isn't why the breakup occurred. But to right. me, it was a really good glimpse into how they were trying to make this work, like the dynamics of those two guys in the in that situation for the first time, and it just didn't work out. And I guess to answer your question, Blake, about how it's been affected now, like I think you have a guy in Joe Prunty who's been a lifetime assistant. He's been around the league forever. He's yeah. held that lead assistant job for a number of coaches before. I think he's stepped up into a little bit bigger role in shaping the offense and making sure that they know what they're doing, uh, you know, end of game, all that stuff. Uh, and then everyone else has just kind of moved up. And the Bucks are still trying to figure out if they want to make a new sure. hire. But yeah. a, a hire is difficult to make two weeks into an NBA season. Because yeah, basically just if you, an extra set of hands, right? right. You're not going to have someone who's coming in and, and touching things. And even the people that you might want to be an extra, extra set of hands are young and up-and-coming assistants. Mm -hmm. And young and up-and-coming assistants don't go into a season without a job. Like, yeah. th that's not how this works. Right, right. So uh, unless you can give that offer where it's like, all right, you're going to be the lead assistant and pry them away, it's just not probably going to happen. So mm. we'll see how it ends up sorting out. I would guess everyone just kind of moves up a, a level, but we'll see how it goes. Well, well how's, how's Griff doing? Because obviously, you know, as Blake mentioned, you know, he was here for the championship years for Toronto, and, uh, you know, we got to speak to him a couple of times. So I think in Toronto there was a weird policy where you just couldn't really speak to the uh, – you know, assistant coaches very often. Like it was, it's similar in Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, so it's exactly. It's, it's not a one uh, franchise thing. But, you know, we always got a sense of sort of what he wants to do. We understood that he did a lot of the defensive responsibilities in Toronto, even though Nick Nurse liked to swap everyone around. Worked worked closely with Fred. Worked closely with Fred. I mean, you know, I think when you're describing Griff to me, it does sound a little bit like when Nick first got the job <laughs> in Toronto because his idea was, oh, I'm going to coach this team that has DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry on it and these young guys, and we're going to try to do something with this. And then also, uh, a little bit into the job, it's like, actually, we have Kawhi Leonard, and right now, the, we have a one-year window. <laughs> in the middle the of July, though, not three yes. days before camp. Sure. Yes, yeah. So how's Griff doing is what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, I think as you're getting to learn more about Adrian Griffin and talk to him more, I think this has been a dream, but also this has been a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like okay. to have all of that thrown onto you, I think it's just going to be a season where – I would be shocked if what I'm seeing in the first three games is what I see from three games in December, right. from what I see in three games in February, and from what I see in three games in April when they're approaching the playoffs. Like, I think this is going to have to be a work in progress because no one could have prepped for, like, the bomb that gets dropped on them right before yep. right before the season starts. How are you going to be able to handle uh, adjustments over the course of the season and in the playoffs? Yeah, I, you haven't you haven't covered a coach who does the adjustment yeah, thing very much yeah, the last couple no, of years. You know, Bud uh, was never known for that. Uh, so I mean, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see because I, I think when you watch the Bucks right now, um, 
I think you're seeing them try to figure out how to create more pressure, create more turnovers. That's not something that a Mike Budenholzer defense did. Mike, Mike Budenholzer, keep everyone in front, make them shoot mid-range jumpers, don't let them touch, get anywhere near the rim, and that was that. Yep. This is different. And, and I think talking to some of the players, they're trying to figure out, like, all right, how do I close out in this situation? Once I close out, where am I recovering to? It used to be back towards the rim. Now I'm supposed to go into the passing. Like, you're seeing these kind of breakdowns, and it's going to keep happening for a while. Like, as they try to figure out how they do these things, breakdowns are going to happen, and you're going to have to learn along the way. But it, it is a really big adjustment because they have a number of the same players that were on that championship team. Yeah. That, that core is still that core. So it's not just like, all right, well, here's a new coach. It's we have to pull out the roots from five years of you doing the same things. And Bud yeah. adjusted things as it went along. Sure, yeah. But it's the same core principles. So your closeouts have to be different. Your communication has to be different. Like all these things that are essentially innate for all those guys. Certainly last season it was. You have to pull those out and give the new programming, and that programming is going to take a while. And you wrote about a great example of that, or what I think is a great example of that, the other day at The Athletic, in that up against Miami, Giannis actually finally got to guard Jimmy Butler. They're going to use Giannis on the other team's best player, which is not something they have done traditionally. Yeah, and I think that's, that's where it gets really interesting right now because there's that excitement from players, right? Giannis, the first game of the year, he gets Embiid for three minutes out of uh, out of halftime. Mm. And he's, like, jacked about it. He's so pumped about it. But at the same time, 30 seconds into it, after he had forced a turnover and got a dunk and created Embiid's fourth personal foul, Giannis picked up his fourth personal foul. Mm. And that there's going to be a balance where it's like, I'm doing this new exciting thing. It's so great. Oh, also, I have to still worry about my fouls, and I still have to like yeah, make yeah. sure that I don't fall out of the game because I'm so excited about doing this new thing that you're. So it's like the excitement's balanced with the kind of breakdowns that are occurring yeah. because everyone's trying to learn new stuff. But yeah, I mean, Giannis getting to do that, Giannis getting to have Jimmy Butler. That was something he did in the 2021 first round series that they swept. He got Jimmy Butler that year, and then since then the Bucks kind of went away from it. So. Yeah, no, he's he's pumped. He's like, I love this. Like, I love this new coach. This is so awesome. But to me, it's the the excitement balanced with, all right, what are we actually learning, and how are we going to make these adjustments as the season goes on? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it is exciting too because I, I, you know, even covering Toronto here, like they were so known for um, being innovative defensively, and a lot of that was attributed to Nick, and it should have been, but it was also because of Griff. Like he he was, uh, you know you know, behind a lot of these ideas or at least in partnership with a lot of these ideas. And you saw the Raptors cycle through. Like, there's one year uh, when the Raptors were in the bubble and we are playing the Nets the first, uh, first round. And, you know, they didn't have KD. They didn't have Kyrie. Uh, it was the the game that the Raptors bench scored 100 points. It was, yeah, the Raptors bench scored 100 points, which now I think the Raptors might crack for the season, not, not for one game. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, wow, take me back. But seriously, in that game, Karis LeVert was the number one option for the Brooklyn Nets, and the Raptors used seven different defensive coverages to stop Karis LeVert, yeah. you know, in a sweep. Uh, so, like, that's what you probably can see from Milwaukee. But I think one thing that was really important for the Raptors when they were trying to execute this, they had high IQ defenders who can – a really understand and process, but also combined with the fact that they had the talent, the ability, and uh, the willingness to defend. Do you feel like that sort of 
does that describe at least the group that Milwaukee has? Because you do need a lot of high IQ guys to, to do this. I think they have the IQ. I think where the questions are about the Bucks defense and how this works going forward is that they don't really have the young legs for it. If you look at a guy like Chris Middleton, I, I think he's been one of the league's best team defenders on the wing for a long time. Like He will never screw up a coverage. He knows exactly what's going on. He executes switches, whatever yeah, it is. Sure. He's great at it. But he's getting older, and he's coming off a knee surgery. And it's probably not going to be, hey, go take KD and, and lock him down. Yeah. Like That's something that he did in the 2021 run when they went to the championship. Like He was the guy that had KD at the end of the fourth quarter, overtime. Like That was his role, but he's older now. So yeah. do you have as much as that? Losing Drew Holiday, now it's like Malik Beasley has been incredible in taking on the role. He said, yeah. you know, I know the way that I'm going to stay on the court this year is I defend the best score on the other team. That's what I got to do. Right. It's great that he's taking the job. I don't know if the job's for him. Right. Like, that, that might not be. Because that's never been his role. Exactly. So you kind of go through all of this, and it's the same thing, too, where it's like, all right, so Brooke Lopez is the best drop center in the league. Yep. Like, yep. He just is. In drop coverage in the pick and roll, no one is better at it than Brooke Lopez. But if he's trapping or he's blitzing, <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's that's a different thing. And I'm not saying Brooke can't also be good at that because mm-hmm. he is a high IQ player. Clearly, he went from off, like someone seen as a defensive liability yeah. to runner-up for a defensive player of the year. So he's smart enough to handle stuff. But physically, can he actually right. do it? So to me, that's more the question. Rather than the IQ, I think the Bucks have high enough IQ to do it. It's just if, the, if they have the de- actual defenders to, mm-hmm. to go out and, and play that style of aggressive. And, like, at this point, I think we know who Pat Connaughton is. Right. And, and that's a useful bench piece, but it's not a guy who's going to come in and lock down. Jay Crowder has never been as good at the three part of 3 and D as his reputation would suggest. I think he's only mm-hmm. shot well one year mm-hmm. in his career. So but that's it, a boss man in tonight. Yeah. Um, so that's to his face. Chris Middleton not playing as many minutes right now as he ramps up. Is there, is there any window for Marjan Beauchamp to show that he can be that guy, or is the upside just not high enough there? Yeah, I mean, Marshawn's gotten a real chance to start the year. He missed last game with a with an illness. Probably, um, I would tonight. guess he's back tonight. Um, they've given him those minutes, mm-hmm. and I think it's really interesting. Again, the the optimism and the way that a lot of these guys have approached their new roles, I think, is admirable. It's just a matter of whether or not they can do it. Like yeah. Marjan really understands, like, hey. I think I can be, you know, a great scorer in this league, and I can do a lot more on the ball, and I can do all these things, but I know right now the only way I get on the floor is if I defend mm. and hit open threes. And he's taken to it. He's like, all right, this is what I'm yeah. going to do. The first game of the year, he gets a couple steals, gets a layup, finishes on Embiid in transition. Like, he just did the little things and brought the energy, and that's how he gets on the floor. But to you, to your, both of your questions, is he good enough? I don't know. Like, that's something that we have to figure out, and because during his rookie year, Bud gave him a chance at the start of the year, and then essentially was like, all right, we got vets. Jay just came in. We got to focus on that. He didn't get the reps that he needed throughout the rest of the season for anyone to really know what he can bring. So, yeah, it's it's going to be this kind of constant push-pull of like, all right, what are we? Can we keep winning games? Because I think right. that's that's another part of this is that the Bucks are okay with not being – as good in the regular season. When they won a championship, they were the three seed. Giannis talks about it all the time. Like, hey, we got to work on the stuff that we need to work on during the regular season. And I think he believes that. But I also know last year in December, it got really rough. And they lost a bunch of games. And everybody in that locker room was miserable. Because mm-hmm. they're a bunch of vets that are trying to win a championship. 
and they like winning games. Believe it or not, people like winning games. Like that's a, that's a fun thing that NBA players uh, we enjoy. We talk about this all the time in Toronto. Uh, vibes and how happy people are. And again, when you have a group that's won a championship before and you lose some games, like it's, yeah. So being a, like, again, I don't doubt the sincerity of his thoughts yeah. and his beliefs, but once it gets into practice and you're continuing to screw up the same defensive rotations because a rookie's trying something new or Chris is trying to apply more pressure and maybe he's not best suited for it, how do you feel about it then? Mm. Seen it over and over again. And I think that's going to be a continuing storyline for the Bucks all season. We're just about out of time, but Chris Middleton's ramp back up. Would you expect about 20 minutes tonight? I would guess 20 minutes. The The tough part is I thought he was going to do 20 minutes last game, but he went from 16 to 17. So maybe it's 18 tonight. 17 I don't, and a half. Yeah, right. who knows? But they, they're being really cautious. Chris is, I will say, getting annoyed with our questions. I don't know if he's annoyed with the patience that the organization is going, but he is annoyed by our questions about how he's feeling. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. The Raptors Bucks is never not interesting. I still remember last year. I don't know if you were in the building for this, but uh, the game where um, it went to overtime, the Raptors started a two for 29, I believe from Uh the field. So they were hot. Giannis diving out of bounds to Grayson yeah. Allen for a corner three for yes, the winner. That's uh, right. Yeah. Fred over helping off the corner for no reason. My, my only thought on tonight is the Bucks are 27th in defense right now. Uh, it's a good get right game for, for your defense. Yeah, and, and don't worry. I'm still taking the Raptors under when we get to that uh, later on. This show. <laughs> but uh, thank you, Eric Name, for coming on, on the program. And uh, yeah, we're going to take a break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. It was a great chat with Eric Name of The Athletic. Uh, really get to check in on our exes in a way, mm. you know, like the Bucks, you know, with, with, with Adrian Griffin, feel like we, we already know so much of his tendencies just based on his time in Toronto. So we really know sort of how it's going to go and, and where it might potentially uh, hit some snags. Same thing with uh, Nick Nurse of Philadelphia. We'll check in on Philadelphia in the fourth segment as well. But uh, joining us right now, uh, this NBA Insider is presented by Coors Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light made to chill. Joining us on the line is Mark Stein, who needs no introduction, really, to anybody who covers basketball or follows basketball. What's up? What's up, Sonny Mo? Gentlemen, good to be with you. Good to get a little bit closer to Toronto from far away Dallas. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you're, you're probably as far from Toronto as possible. Uh, but listen, we, we wanted to talk uh, a couple of things. We actually wanted to talk about the Mavericks. They're, they're off to a 3-0 start, uh, and they're looking you know, pretty, pretty promising. 125 points per game is pretty damn good. I think that's what the Raptors score in two days, maybe a whole weekend. Uh, but let's 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 obviously talk about James Harden, the trade fallout. Uh, I wanted to think about it from the Clippers' perspective. Um, you know, on, on one hand, they definitely did keep Terrence Mann out of this deal, um, but you know, they still ultimately ended up surrendering two picks. And uh, you know, it, it is a situation where they believe they have four. All four of these guys are free agents next year, the Stars. So, yeah, Stein, I'd, I'd love to hear your reaction to uh, the, the the James trade yesterday. There's only one winner if you guys want to do winners and losers today, and that's James Harden. James Harden is the only immediate winner here, and it is 
truly amazing how we heard so much chatter in the summer that the player empowerment era is over. And here's James Harden with supposedly no leverage and everybody know it all, me included, saying, why did you opt in if you, want to, if you only want to go to the Clippers and that's the only team you want to play for? And even after opting in and seemingly forfeiting any semblance of control in the situation and, you know, doesn't go to media day, basically is a, a virtual non-participant in training camp and doesn't play in any of the preseason games, tries to get on one team flight, they won't let him go, and get the exact trade that he wants. I mean, it is it is amazing. Yeah, I wrote a big piece about it on my sub stack yesterday. With no championship rings, that's always going to get thrown in his face when we assess his resume and his legacy. But the man is absolutely the undisputed NBA champion for getting what he wants. I mean, he forced a trade Houston to Brooklyn, Brooklyn to Philly, and now Philly to the Clippers. Uh, and that piece is up at markstein.substack.com if people want to read more. Mark, I'm curious what changed for Philadelphia in these days because it sounded the whole time like they were going to stick to their line. They were playing this game of chicken. They were willing to wait it out. Is it as simple as James Harden showed up and, and they didn't really expect him to and that kind of, you know, then it was uh, not, yeah, you get some depth pieces in draft acquisition, but you you don't want that headache hanging over things what changed here because the what we'd heard all along was like Terrence Mann's inclusion um, maybe the extra draft capital got them there why did Philly bend on this when when we'd heard they were willing to wait it out a little long certainly longer than uh, a week yeah Daryl Morey's patience is considered legendary especially after what happened just a couple of years ago with Ben Simmons when so many again external know-it-alls like me are on the outside saying You've got to trade Ben Simmons. You can't do this to Joel Embiid. You can't waste a prime season of Embiid. But no, Daryl Morey waited all the way till deadline day and got the trade he wanted for Harden. So I think there was a sense that yes, he'll he'll wait again and he will show more patience than any team in the league. But I really sorry about that. I think it's a combination of factors, really, that the fact that Maxi looks so good, Eastern Conference Player of the Week, he already looks like an all-star. But just, it was a very chaotic build-up to opening night with the no media day, virtually not practicing, how little they've seen Harden to this point. He wanted to get on the first flight to Milwaukee, and they told him not to join the team. I think the Sixers really reached the point that they just didn't even want to do this dance with drama any further. And they went into this saying, we want Terrence Mann and an unprotected first or two unprotected, unprotected first. And they got neither, but the Sixers would tell you they did get two first, you know, that they got 2028 unprotected from the Clippers. The 2026 first is going to be the worst of the three picks that OKC controls in 2026. But, the Sixers feel like that is a good haul and a good enough haul at this point to move on. And, you know, it's the addition by subtraction mentality that removing Harden from the building now should make things, you know, a lot calmer and easier, you know, for Nick Nurse, the first year coach, who has got to come in there and try to put all this together on the fly. Yeah. Um, Stein, I, I guess on the Clipper side of things, how is this going to work? Like, do you see these four players 
these four, you know, former All-NBA players, some of them, are, at least when healthy, are still at that level in Kawhi and PG. But how do you see it all, like, blending together? Like, can all four of these guys play on the floor together? Let's start, let's start there. I think their confidence would stem from the fact that Ty Lue has such a great touch with veterans and that he's the perfect coach try to manage this, but, you know, kind of, you, you asked me about the Clippers from the jump, and the reason I, I would say that James Harden is the only winner here right now, we're going to have to wait six months to judge mm. both Philly and the Clippers here. From yeah. the Philly side, it's what they can turn these picks into in their quest to, to acquire a new third star that makes Joel Embiid happy. And from the Clippers' perspective, yes, they kept Terrence Mann out of the deal. They kept Norman Powell out of the deal, which was important to them. Mm. They've addressed a major need in terms of a point guard and a floor leader. That's something we know the Clippers have wanted for a long, long time. They weren't going to get out of the West with the team they had. You could also make the case that they've, get, they've traded away so many picks over the years to put this team together that you know was keeping the 2028 first really going to save them if this thing unravels? No. It's, you know, one pick is not going to do that unless you're getting a Wembenyama type star. So they were already all in, and all that's true. But, yeah, you said it. All of these guys, Russ and Harden, are on expiring contracts. Harden is ineligible to do a contract extension. And Kawhi and Paul George, who both missed tons of time in their first four seasons together, they have player options for next season, and they're going into a new building. So there is a lot of risk here for the Clippers and they do have to ask themselves the question, do we really have a team now that can win the West? They believe they do, but are the Denver Nuggets having sleepless nights about the Clippers adding James Harden to what they already have? I don't think so yet. Yeah. Okay. So uh, obviously this being the Raptor show, I guess I want to ask you, is there any way this could sort of break in favor or maybe break right for the Raptors? I think maybe from the Philadelphia perspective, because they have now at least not the star player that Daryl Morey really wanted to potentially flip James Harden into, but at least they have sort of the ingredients, some picks, uh, expiring contracts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, could the Raptors come and get involved? I know OG's already been sort of floated out there. I guess that's everyone's default, yeah. like go-to trade target. Um, how could that affect the Raptors? It definitely didn't take long for OG's name <laughs> to start getting thrown around as a potential Sixers uh, trade target here. Okay. And look, this is something that the Raptors are going to have to really navigate because, you know, Ananobi can obviously become a free agent at season's end. The extension they can offer him only goes up to $117 million, And so he knows he's going to command a much higher figure if he goes to free agency. It's really not in OG's best interest to do an extension. And so do the Raptors you know, post-Fred, post-Kawhi, post-Lowry, do they really want to take the risk of losing Ananobi in free agency? I mean, that's something, you know, it's, I think it, on one hand, it's too soon to really talk about it now. We're, it's November 1st. But on the other hand, I'm sure for Raptors fans, it's never too soon to start thinking about these things because the Occam, Ananobi, Trent Jr., all of these guys have uncertain futures with the team. Really, you know, all the, all the main players apart from Scotty Barnes. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, Ananobi is going to be a popular name. There's no question. And, it, it, you know, last season was filled with trade speculation. I, you know, 
think one of the lines I wrote somewhere or said somewhere, I think, I think from January to July, maybe January to September, the Raptors might have led the league in trade speculation. There's no real way to measure that, but it sure felt like it. And, you know, I'm not sure that this season is going to be terribly different. Yeah, I'm sure you got tons of people writing to you uh, on Substack, just like, hey, what's the news on the Raptors? What's the news on the Raptors? This and this and this. And, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely helps to fill the show, but it definitely, you know, creates a lot of uncertainty. But it's I'm, so early. No, it is so early, but, hey, listen, you know, we got to set the tone earlier. This is what <laughs> the season's going to be about. No, um, maybe on happier times, because, again, this is a little too early for this, even if they do want to make a trade. They also, By the way, they obviously have Nick Nurse there, too. Mm-hmm. You know, Nick obviously is a big OG fan. Um, as he is a Pascal fan, for example, so those can also be uh, options. But um, the Mavericks, just, uh, I mean, look, I think they definitely did make a number of moves in the offseason. Obviously, they made the big trade for Kyrie uh, last year, the deadline. Um, but they didn't really impress. Obviously, down the stretch, they they managed to tank their way back into their own pick. Then they flipped that pick. Uh, and, you know, maybe there wasn't as much optimism around Dallas. Maybe you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But... So far, so good. 3-0. Luka's looking at an MVP. You know, some more Luka magic moments already. Like, are you surprised that the, the, the Mavericks are off to this nice start here? Well, the schedule certainly helped. And, you know, they needed this kind of favorable start. They needed to start well because they went on that, you know, the longest trip in preseason history in the league. I mean, they were gone for 12 days, two, two games in Abu Dhabi, one in Madrid, they come back with both Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving injured. And then, you know, so base, and then they had to basically, after 12 days abroad, they had to stay away from the gym for three days. So they couldn't even have their first real practice until October 16th, basically eight days before opening night. And so it was almost like they were starting over. Yeah. So their preparation for the season really was not ideal. And look, Kyrie Irving missed the last game with a foot issue. He's listed as doubtful for tonight. So Kyrie Irving can only play two of the four exhibition games. He's at risk for missing two of the first four regular season games. But I mean, you guys said it. Luca has been not of this earth to start the season. I mean, he, when the three ball is going down on top of everything else he does, he is basically unguardable and he's been reigning in threes to start the season and it's crazy when you think about it. it um, you know, he made that one-hand bank shot yep. at the end of the shot clock against Brooklyn that was, like, right in front of me. And after the game, I was visiting with Mark Folliwell, the Mavs play-by-play man, and then the legendary Ian Eagle from the Nets broadcast. And we were just kind of all three just old dudes kind of marveling at this shot. And the great Ian Eagle said, he's like, can you clinch best shot of the season <laughs> in game two of 82. And when you think about it, like Luca's shot, which was the cross between a jump hook and a shot put from 30 under duress. I was obviously lucky, but it was still ridiculous as well. We might've seen the best shot and the best pass of the season by Sunday, because that Jokic 75 foot lob to Aaron Gordon side, side oh, out of bounds alley. I mean, we might have already seen the best pass of the season and the best shot of the season. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that, that MVP campaign. I mean, it, obviously, Luke is going to win some MVPs in his career. Uh, if he takes this Mavericks team with expectations around it coming into the year and the uncertainty come around it, and he takes them to 
top four in the West. I can't really see why. Uh, if he averages they'd, they'd 40, 12, win, and 10. To win in the 50s, they'd have to win in the 50s, okay. and it's hard to see that with the roster they have. Yeah, but, I mean, with Luka the, playing the way he is, you, you never know. So, Stein, appreciate you. We're going to call you lots uh, throughout the season. But, uh, yeah, it, it's great to check in. And, obviously, when those uh, trade rumors come in, uh, we'll be we'll be the real-life people in, in the Substack chats being like, hey, any news on the Raptors, all right? I will do my best and uh, just let me know when the – let me know when we're doing the live show from Carousel Bakery. <laughs> All right. That was, that NBA Insider was presented by Coors Light. Go for full-time to game time. Coors Light made to chill. Um, Mark Stein, man. Long time. You know, honestly, I feel like there are certain players in this league that, like, uh, you know, for uh, – you know, like, when you cover this league, and I'm, I can't imagine how many games that Mark Stein has covered in person, all that kind of stuff. Like, you probably just get, like, so – it becomes part of the background. It's like it becomes your job and, you know, like, things don't – really necessarily excite you like that and then there are these like generational players that really come through and you know they get you in that mode where you're like a giddy fan again and you're like look at that shot and that that luca shot i mean that, that you know he's one of those players that really gets you excited like that i think Wemby's having that same effect as well uh, for people around the league so um yeah i feel like it's like if you can impress a vet like 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 stein then you're really doing something also i mean even people who didn't see the shot he's averaging almost 40 12 and 10 yeah. I know it's early, but the numbers oh. the, the numbers as well are just uh, bonkers. The only the only other note on Dallas, really, and I know it's easy to be like a rim-running garbage man center in a heliocentric offense like this. Derek Lively is yeah, I was putting, not expecting this. putting up better numbers than he put up at Duke last year. Yeah. Like He was a 5-5 five and five guy who started part-time for Duke. Everyone thought this was going to be a longer-term play yep. Yep. Uh, as, a, as a lottery pick. Um, way, way ahead of schedule. Yeah, so... Uh, just obviously this is way too early to track a style like this. His field goal percentage right now is at 85.7%. It leads the league. He's only missed two shots. I think he's only taking shots right at the basket. He's uh, got that Tyson Chandler shot chart. Yes. And that's what I was going to try to allude to because this is Maverick's legacy. You know, you have yeah. a European superstar. <laughs> and then you have a rim running three, like not three and D. I was going to say three and D like, a, you know, I guess defense and dunks D and D center. You know what I mean? Like, cause this is what they've always like succeeded with this exact formula so i wasn't expecting it to happen at the age of 19 you, you go yeah. tell Kyrie he's just jason terry oh <laughs> he's the jet um <laughs> that, that operates in in, in in three dimensions um no but seriously like i, I don't know I'm, I'm just i'll be tracking what dallas does because i'm still a little skeptical of this team i think everyone kind of should be L- like stein uh, said the schedule has been yeah cake so yeah. far but i mean hey listen i mean like in terms of most exciting players like luca's definitely on that list top five for me I don't know what the rest of your list looks like, Blake, but are there players that get you, like, giddy and off to the side of, like, hey, you know, we got to, you know, appreciate greatness? Yeah, I mean, Wemby's the big one because it's the attraction. I said January 12th earlier. It's February 12th that he's here. Uh, Um, By the way, if you go at the Raptors' schedule right now, you can get a sneak peek at when they're debuting their new jerseys because uh, they've got the jersey listed for most games, but there are a couple just blank ones. Mm. Uh, You have to assume... Huge reveal. Suddenly a Wizards, a Wizards game in early November has uh, oh, has meaning. We'll be trusting like the Bulls um, is what you're telling me. Yeah. Yeah. Look, there, there are, yes, there are guys like that. I think Wemby's on the list. Luka's on the list. Jokic is still on the list. Uh, LeBron was maybe off the list for a bit just because we saw so like a painful amount of LeBron here. But the yeah, fact yeah. that he's doing it now at, at his age in his 21st season. I'm not going to lie to you. It's he, not hitting like that for him anymore. LeBron's just effective. And it's great. Nah, I it's, appreciate greatness. To me, it's on. back. It's come back around. Really? Yeah. It's okay. just the fact uh. that he's doing this 
at this age is... I've seen it all, man. Yeah, you have, but you've never seen it from a guy, what is he, 38, almost 39? Mm. And like in his 21st season, I, I think it's come back around for me. I needed those couple of years to reset after he left Cleveland, though. Yeah, well, I think we all needed those. I think the Raptors literally reset their whole roster because yeah. of that. Um, yeah, for me, I, I got Halliburton on that list yeah. for me. With Shea. His passing. Shea with his one-on-one game. I think he's probably, he's the, I'm going to say probably, he's the best one-on-one player in the league. He's the funkiest, for sure, and like no, the, he's the just coolest the to watch. Yeah. He's just the best, especially after what I saw this summer, um, even watching him closely there. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's on that list for me. Zion, when he's healthy, he's on that list for me. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense. He is six foot four, and he is just like bulldozed like three defenders and dunked the ball. I guess that's happening less and less. His Twitter account also is uh, is something that <laughs> makes me go, oh my god, look at this. But um, yeah, I don't know. I once saw some Raptors had one of those guys. I guess Kawhi. Yeah, I mean, playoff Kawhi was like you can't turn your head away because no one's done this stuff since like yeah, statistically but, since Michael Jordan. See, that's the thing. Even, it's a different style. I get it, yeah. but like I think in the playoffs, just like. Like, again, literally no one had done that stuff since Michael Jordan right. was pretty pretty musty. Yeah, you know what? Let me bring in Alex Wong. Since he's right here and he's just uh, folding candy wrappers on his desk like a child. Um, yeah, who are some of these players that get you excited? Because I know famously you're not that excited about basketball. So if there's if there are some special hoopers that still get you, like, you know, in that childlike state as you stare for. Childlike state. Yeah, Malachi Brang- Brangnam. <laughs> Malachi Flynn. Uh, just like all the Malachi's, huh? <laughs> no, no. Um, this is actually a really good discussion. Off the top of my head, honestly, Kevin Durant is one of them. Still? Yeah. I, okay. I, I'm actually with Blake about LeBron, too, in that, like, um, like he's towards the end of his career, clearly. Like, you just want to watch as many LeBron performances as you can at this point. You could make the same argument for Steph, too, even though Steph has oh, yeah, more Steph years left, probably. Steph is definitely there. Giannis, I still feel like, is there for really? me. Yeah, okay. I love watching Giannis. Not if I know Embiid, Giannis though, right? Honestly, no, there's no Embiid joy a, watching Embiid. I'm we sorry, all know that Embiid is a tough watch. No, it's like a, it's a tough is, listen, like Dray, like Draymond's pod. I, I appreciate Embiid's skill, yeah. but I, I just yeah, that's a tough watch. But yeah, Sad K- guy Joel. K- yeah, KD, that, that's a big part. KD is at the very top of the list for me, just because okay. I feel like he's such a one of one scorer. Yeah, and there's something about him. Um, I would put Steph in there too. Of like, I don't think I'm gonna see this exact player ever again. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I do wonder does does age. 39 LeBron hit different when you were 39 boy. Um, is it age dependent? Is it because for me, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, all right, like, you know, I'm 30, I'm watching LeBron. You I'm know like, what? I've seen the best of LeBron already. Yeah, I'm not going to be ageist um, like you, but um, <laughs> I think that is what I'm being right uh, now. I'm sorry. Um, I think, respect your elders. No, I think what it is is like, I've, as I'm talking about this, I'm realizing that like, um, I just enjoy like these individual scores. Like, I really enjoy watching Melo play too. Okay. When, yeah, when yeah. he was like in the prime of his career and all this stuff, I think it's just that individuality for me. Yeah. Right, something unique, something distinct. I think yeah. that's the cool thing about basketball. Like, there's so much, like, individuality you can put into this game that sets you apart. I mean, look at the Bulls. The Bulls are really hard watch, but DeMar himself is still really fun, right? The way he uh, uses his footwork is, and man. creates spaces. I'm not saying he's on this yeah, list the way of, he like, cost the Raptors guys a win who you last get week? more excited I mean, he about. He also, like, choked four opportunities to win it until he finally okay, but, won it. Okay, yeah. but we're not including someone's hating. free throw shooting on most exciting <laughs> things to watch. Uh, I'm right. throwing you're, you're free right, throws right. at you know him. Shaq free throw? wasn't exciting to watch. He only shot 54% on free throws. <laughs> Jeremy Sohan, saying, exciting free throws, right? He just gets that yo, line. One hand. He's like, yo, I'm picturing. And it, and it's I'm, actually kind of what? Man, I'm picturing a scenario like two years from now, Spurs are like game seven. Against, I don't know, the Nuggets. Series on the line. No, it's a one-handed on, I free know. Throw. It's Bro, like, why is he on the floor? No, Pop screwed up. <laughs> no, but Sohan series on, on the, the line, one free throw to win. I don't know if I'm going one-handed, man. Oh, you want Sohan? 
<laughs> the aliens I, got the death think, beam point of Earth? I think this discussion is interesting, too, because it's like, I think this is a statement on the league as well, because, like, growing up, we would talk about, like, favorite players, right? Obviously, we had our MJs and all this stuff, but it's like, we used to talk about favorite teams to watch, though. Mm. It's like, I love watching the Bulls. I love watching Shaq, Penny, and the Magic. It's like, now it's way more individuals because the guys are moving around too much. Like, who's your favorite yeah. team to watch? Like, Nuggets, Warriors. After that, who else has that continuity? Celtics? Yeah, I mean, you That's have it, continuity though. when you're good, though. You can't just continuously watch a team because <laughs> they're bad. Like. Uh, the Raptors and Knicks would disagree. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. Really are we? Really are I love how this segment one. is just Blake and I piling on all of Will's opinions, man. No, no, no. But yeah, um, give us one, man. Who else I like? What teams I like to watch? Yo, I like to watch Sacramento last year. Sacramento you know what? Was Sacramento's really fun. getting up there. Sacramento is yeah. still up there, by the way. They're yeah. still scoring. Like, they're they're right there with Dallas. 125 points per game. Um, sure. Unbelievable. The Raptors have, have been cracked 100 in regulation. They're at 125 on average. Yeah. Um, who, who is fun for me to watch? I mean, like, obviously, John Morant, like, when he's healthy and, and he's not, you know, um, fourth quarter, I got my, you know, crypto, I got my tool in uh, situation. Um, when he's dunking on, <laughs> oh. on Yaka Pertle is more fun for me. But, like, yeah. no, seriously, there's just, I don't know. There are oh. just a number of these guys around the league. I want a and, deep cut, though. Like, like Blake, I know you got deep cuts. Who's your, like, deep cut player that you love to watch? That does, that's not like a star. Mm. Yeah. The slob wizard? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. We got there. We got there. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to think on it more. Like yeah. someone, I, I'm or, still, someone or Orlando I'm, even. Yeah, I mean, Paolo and Franz are cool, but they're yeah. not like do something unique. I, I mm. you know, Cade is like Cade now that okay. he's back and like sure, looks yeah. Yeah, solid. Yeah, yeah. Like he's a very, very fun watch. Yeah. But even that is more curiosity about like what he's going to be and where he's going to no, go. But those are cool but, too. But like lead, lead guards who are, yeah. you know, that that Detroit team's been like weirdly fun to watch anyway with, with Jalen being so good too. Yeah. Um, hopefully he's he doesn't miss very much time here. Um. Yeah, I mean, Cade might be on there. I know he's like he was the number one pick, but like we no, didn't I get like to see one. him for like, like two years, basically. Mm. I think I think it's like I think it's like we all have a type, like kind of type type of players too, right? I just yeah. like bucket getters, yeah. bro. Unfortunately, my type is usually <laughs> okay, yeah. joining us with the program. Yeah. Stack them. Yeah, my type is usually stuff. G League guys yeah. who yeah. just grinded to get there. I don't think You're anyone wants Ronald to Roberts hear. Jr. Yeah, who's Loves. your type, man? Like, what, what type of player? Who's you the like best watching? free throw shooter? Honestly, free throw shooting is something we should all appreciate here in Toronto. Let's be honest. Honestly, it's probably just bigs that passed. I mean, it's it's Are fun. You serious? Like, like, okay, yeah, I seriously, like man. Shangun, like obviously Jokic, Sabonis, Sabonis, even Bam. You know, he's gotten so much better as a passer. Okay, it's a yeah, coordination. Yeah. You know, the two man game, Jakob. You know, we don't yeah. really use him like that anymore in Toronto. Yeah. Even though that was the stated purpose, he just doesn't get the ball in the post Jimmy, anymore. I, I would put Jimmy Butler on this list, but Jimmy only in the Butler. playoffs. Like yeah, I'm, I'm not trying. Regular season Jimmy Butler is is a tough watch. Yeah, I knew you were going to say some word that would have been inappropriate. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to watch Jimmy Butler in the regular season. No, honestly though, but but I think this kind of goes to the idea of like Zach Lowe's like league pass rankings. Oh, and when like you have that. this discussion, it is a little bit hard just to sell a casual and like, hey, this is the why you should watch the Raptors because you'll see this that you don't see anywhere else. Yeah, it is a little bit hard you'll to be see like Dennis Schroeder's name pronounced this way. Yeah. That might be the most unique thing about the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> I really do think Will said the probably the like. Not under the radar, but like Tyrese Halliburton is probably like the oh, guy yeah, yeah. who's not a star yet who is yeah. the most fun that's a, and that's unique a nice, to watch. Yeah, that's a nice deep cut. Yeah, but like it was that. already taken. I think passing <sighs> for me might be the most exciting part of the game. I, you I like hate passing, to be one of those guys. Eh? I love passing. Yeah, Seriously, I love passing. And free you throws. love passing. Yeah. Alex loves Buckets. scoring. I love Buckets. defense. That's okay. it. We're set. I'm Chinese Red Auerbach. I'm Red Star Auerbach. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna take oh, a quick break. Oh, League Roberson. Oh my God. It's still oh, PJ no. Trucker hat, man. That's yeah. my favorite one. All right, mm. we're gonna take that break up in your host. You've been listening wizard. to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. 
big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. You'll be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. We may or may not check in with Alex Wong, but he is also sitting here in the background. And we have joining us on the line, Tim Bontemps, ESPN. Timmy, good times. What's going on? Hello, fellas. How are we doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. So we wanted to, as always, uh, check in on the Eastern Conference because, you know, it's something of a specialty. We'll, we'll start in Boston. Um you know, nothing really wrong in Boston at all. Things are really chill, really, I mean, just 3-0, and looking good. Porzingis fitting in, Drew Holiday, all that kind of stuff. So, But I just wanted to check in with you. Like, uh, how, how, how is the season going for Boston right now? Because we have heard nothing but good things. I mean, yeah, I think you summed it up well. They look awesome. I've seen them. Uh, I saw them in their opener against the Knicks here in New York. I saw them in their home opener on Friday uh, against Miami, and they look really good. And you mentioned Christos Porzingis. He has fit in perfectly. Uh, the combination of Drew Holiday and Derek White in the backcourt is the best defensive backcourt in the league and one of the best I can think of. Um, they're able to do just about everything at the defensive end of the court. And their top six guys, to me, are clearly the best six guys in the league um, when they're healthy and ready to go. Now, I will, we will see what happens in the playoffs because uh, despite how good he is, I still think you look at a guy like Jason Tatum and he's not in the same category as guys like Giannis or uh, Nikola Jokic or some of the other truly top-end elite guys that you typically are going to see be the best player on a team that, that wins the title in the end. Um, but I, I think when you look at the other elite teams in the league, whether it's Denver or uh, – Milwaukee, or, you know, if you want to put a team like Phoenix or even Golden State in that category, the Celtics are the only one of those teams that is truly elite to me at both ends of the court. And it's why that I came into the season thinking they were going to win the title if they were healthy. And it's, like you said, through a week. It's only a week, but there's been nothing that's happened that's changed my opinion on what their ceiling is if they're uh, all available next spring. Tim, you mentioned uh, that that best defensive backcourt in the league, arguably. Uh, I was a little disappointed to see it happen just because I had picked Derek White for sixth man of the year, and then they went the route with moving <laughs> Al Horford uh, to the bench. Obviously, Horford played a couple games off the bench for the 76ers uh, a few seasons ago, but this is a pretty big mm-hmm. change. Um, he's obviously 37 at this point, so so maybe it's just time. What was that like for the Celtics, figuring that element of this new roster out? It was definitely a little complicated, Blake, and I think you saw sort of as the preseason went along and Drew Holiday was initially coming off the bench, um, you know, it, it, that was met with some surprise, and it certainly is going to be interesting to see how that all shook out. But I think ultimately having Al come off the bench makes the most sense. He is in his, I believe, 17th NBA season. Uh, he's in his late 30s, uh, playing him 20 to 25 minutes a game off the bench, like Chris Paul. In Golden State, I think a very similar situation. Two incredibly uh, proud guys who've had tremendous careers. Both, you know, Chris Paul definitely be in the Hall of Fame. Al, I think, is going to have a shot at making the Hall of Fame, especially if he can win a title with Boston. And, you know, I, I can understand why there might have been some initial resistance to the idea of playing this way. But I think you're going to see Al 
play a ton of minutes for Boston this year. And certainly when they're in the playoffs, I would not be surprised if there are games, if they're playing, especially a team like Milwaukee, um, where maybe Allen and Porzingis do start together and they make a decision on sitting one of the other guys out of the initial lineup. But, um, but they've, I think Al seems to have taken that well and it's taken it from the standpoint that it will be the best thing for them to win games. And I think like anything else, Blake, if you are winning games, a lot of this stuff is a lot easier. You know, back when Andre Godala was on the Warriors at the beginning of this run and he started coming off the bench, uh, you know, Golden State hadn't gone, you know, to win the title. I, I think it might have been a harder sell, but that team got off to a really good start, won over 60 games, and um, it was like, oh, yeah, we're just going to we're gonna roll this out and do this, and it worked. And I, I think, at least so far, we're seeing a similar effect with how things are going in Boston. Yeah. Uh, Tim, you mentioned that earlier, Porzingis obviously is fitting a grade and averaging 21. He had a re- really good year last year. You know, he, he continues to have that here uh, in Boston. I think I guess the guy sacrificing for the starters is Drew Holiday, right? Because this is going to require a lot of sacrifice. Like you mentioned, you know, Al Horford obviously agreeing to come off the bench is a big sacrifice. Drew Holiday going from, you know, an all-star season, uh, 25% usage, you know, number of big games for Milwaukee last year, going from that to here where he's down to 12 points per game, his usage is at 15%. It's by far a career low for him. Obviously, he's still efficient. He's still, you know, playing amazing defense. But um, how's that transition for him? Because the... Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he, he is making a big sacrifice here. I, I'm sort of stunned we're talking this much about the Celtics on the, uh, on the Raptors show. But, uh, uh, you know, it's the, a, it, uh, we got to talk about winning teams sometimes. <laughs> I, hate, I hate to say this. I'm just, I'm just I, I know, I'm just giving you fellas a hard time. No, look, I think, I think across the board, well, you're going to see guys get less shots and less touches for the Celtics this year. And I, I think that, obviously, that's been the case for Drew in the opening couple of games. Um, but, I, but I also think that it's sort of what everybody signed up for coming into this season. And more than anything, I, I, I thought a lot about Iguodala going to Golden State um, in relation to Drew going to the Celtics. And I, I think there's a lot of analogs to that. Especially, you know, obviously, Drew has already won a title and had a higher, you know, was, was getting a ton of, of shots last year with Milwaukee because of how that team was built. But I think if you look at how sort of Iguodala fit in with that team in Golden State, I do think there's some similarities. And there's going to be nights when, you know, maybe Derek White will get four shots or maybe Drew will get four shots. I think on, I think on the opening night of the season, I want to say Jalen Brown got five or six or maybe eight shots. Like, he didn't get a ton of shots at the Garden against the Knicks. Um, but they have so many different guys that can get going on a day that I think things are going to rotate around a little bit and everybody will get their opportunities. Um, and it also, you know, one of the criticisms at times of Drew, for as good as he is, you know, has been that he at times has been a little bit inconsistent offensively in the playoffs. And it's why I sort of laughed at the credit that sort of being an issue for Boston after they made this trade, going from him, from Malcolm Brogdon to Drew Holiday as an upgrade is massive. And it just gives these guys so many different, options to go to offensively that yeah there might be a night when here Derek White is really going and maybe they get 15 or 20 shots and they score 30 points and the next night they might go two for four and have five but they have the ability to be versatile that way and that they don't have to rely on two or three guys to give them production every night because they have several guys that can step up and do it and it's a big part of why 
even though they don't necessarily have that top five player on their team, because I don't think Tatum's quite in that tier, I do think they have the depth and talent necessary to be a championship winning team because that just when those six guys are humming and they have everybody spread out across outside the three point line, it, it's sort of impossible to guard them. And at least in a very early sample size, that's how it's looked so far this year. All right, Tim, you don't want to talk more Celtics on, on an NBA show in Toronto. Let's pivot to another team. Raptors fans <laughs> love hearing about you've been on the ground with the 76ers through this James Harden yeah. uh, trade saga. The Raptors will be there tomorrow. The latest reporting that the guys will physically be there, but it's unlikely they play. Uh, what is the vibe in Philadelphia? Is it a big weight off uh, in your in your read uh, of the situation to have this Harden deal dealt with, even if you like, before we even get to the return, just the weight off from, from not having this be a talking point anymore. Well, you should have said congratulations to me, Blake, because really the, the James Harden trade was a win for me <laughs> um, and, and uh, not having to deal with it quite as much, but no, look in all seriousness, I, I think that for the most part, I think it's sort of been a, a side story for Philly because Harden hasn't really been around, right? Like he, he, I don't think he ever did any live five on five play with the team this season. Uh, or if he did, it was very brief. So it's, it's not like they had to readjust, you know, it's not like Nick nurse had to readjust what Philly was doing because he was sort of in and out of the lineup. He was sort of never in the lineup. And, and so I think because of that, while it's been a bit of a distraction at times, during the preseason, everything, as you guys know, is sort of laid back anyway. And you're really only talking about this lasted a couple of days in the regular season. And Arden wasn't really around for any of that either. So I think from that standpoint, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's been a massive weight on the team. But I do think that there is, you know, being there yesterday, and I'll be there tomorrow for the Raptor game. Um, I do think there was a bit of a sense of relief at just it being over and being able to move forward. And, and I think more than anything else, like it was a ability for them to fully put the team in the hands of Tyrese Maxey, who I think has a chance to be a really high level guard in the league. Uh, I think he's going to be an all-star this year. And when you look at how explosive he is and how dynamic he is with the ball, he really has a chance to be a perennial over 25 point game scorer. And with the way he's improved as a three-point shooter, it's just really hard to stay in front of him and stop him. And so I think by doing this trade now, you get to fully clear the decks and say, all right, this is Joel Embiid's team and Tyrese Maxey is driving the car. And there's no debate about what the roles are going to be or where guys are going to fit or how things are going to look. It's all very clearly defined and laid out and makes sense. And I think for the Sixers going forward, being able to – put Tyrese Maxey in that position and empower him to play that way, I think is going to have real positive ramifications for them long-term. And it's why I think they felt very good about making this trade now, uh, even though they didn't get an immediate star level return, they didn't get Drew Holiday back. They didn't get some other guy back. That's going to immediately step into James Harden's spot. But what they did do was create the ability for Tyrese Maxey to potentially become a perennial all-star. And I think they look at this situation and say, all right, for now we can do that. We can empower him. And now we have multiple draft picks and $100 million in expiring contracts that we can look around and potentially add to this roster over the next few months or next summer free agency to improve this team around him and Embiid. 
Yeah. Well, before they make and that sort of subsequent deal, and I do think that they they should do that this year. I mean, you have Prime Embiid and Maxi breaking out. It just makes perfect sense to, to to sort of swing that kind of trade if if that's available. And we'll see who mm-hmm. becomes available. But in terms of the actual guys that they get back. Can, is there a use for any of these guys? Like, can they can they factor in here? Like, are we sleeping on Nick Batum? Are we sleeping on Robert Covington? I can't believe I'm saving these kind of words, but hmm. maybe a little KJ Martin. I, I, I don't know. Like, are, are any of these guys immediately useful? I, I would say the two guys to watch are Batum and KJ Martin, Kenny Martin Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, in the in the short term, I think Batum Batum's not a guy that can play 30 minutes a game. Realistically, I don't think at this point on a given night, but. He's shown to be a very effective uh, guy for the Clippers the past couple of years in the smaller role. And I, I think on this Sixers team, it's playing that sort of a 20 to 25-minute-a-game 20, role. I think he can help them as a depth forward that can play off of guys like Embiid and Tobias Harris and um, you know space the floor next to a guy like Paul Reed, maybe with the second unit if he isn't starting. Uh, wouldn't stun me if Batum is their starting four for a while replacing P.J. Tucker uh, after he gets up to speed. Uh, and look, I don't know if Kenny Martin Jr. is going to be a, a top-level NBA player, but, I mean, I know you guys watch a lot of hoops. Yep. Your, your listeners probably have not seen him play a ton. He is a huge athlete and a really young, explosive guy. And I think for a Sixer team that has a bit of a hole at power forward, you know, Kelly Oubre is going to start tomorrow against the Raptors. I don't think that's going to last long-term because I think he's played probably the best ball I've ever seen him play in his career the last month, albeit a very, very small sample size in a six-man role. And I think Nick Nurse indicated today he'd like to continue having him be in that kind of role. Uh, But going forward, I I would be very curious to see if KJ Martin can earn himself a rotation spot with the Sixers because he he has just big-time athleticism and some real upside. And I did think that in this kind of deal, although they didn't get Terrence Mann, who's sort of a, a more established, a little bit older player that people looked at as a guy that could be involved in this deal with some upside for the Sixers. I do think that KJ Martin has some upside, and I'll be interested to see if he gets a chance to get some run and play with this team. Because I could see him, you know, if he's out there in a second unit with, say, Maxi handling the ball with, you know, Oubre and Paul Reed, and they're flying up and down the court, I could see. Kenny Martin's uh, athleticism fitting with that group pretty nicely. All right, Tim, you, before we let you go here, you mentioned it. You'll be at Raptors at Sixers tomorrow. We know you have a fondness for the city of Toronto, of course. Uh, what is your high-level opinion of the way the Raptors have started out here? Well, I mean, it's obviously been a disappointing start, right? It looked really good that first night. I mean, coming out and beating Minnesota, I was, I, that was a really good win to start the year. The, the Bulls game is one of the stranger games I've ever seen, uh, just period. I mean, that was a uh, obviously a, a pretty tough loss the way it ended at the end of regulation. I mean, that was a game that obviously the Raptors would love to have back. And then, you know, like the Philly game, you're right off. Like, they're not as good as Philly. Like, they probably should lose tomorrow. Obviously, it's very difficult back-to-back. There's very few back-to-backs harder than uh, – home road with Milwaukee and Philly. I mean, that's just a very tough tandem of games. And then the one that hurts is the game on Monday, which I watched a good chunk of against Portland. Like that, that's the kind of game that if you're going to, you know, if you're trying to be in the top six and avoid being in the play in or worse, 
you can't be losing to Portland at home on in a situation where Portland is on the second night of a back to back on the road. Um, you just can't, you just cannot give those kinds of games away. So we'll see what happens in the next couple of days. It's obviously very early in the year. I think certainly we've seen the Raptors have some very good defensive performances early on this year, and they have the chance to be a really good defensive team. I'm not making any kind of secret to you guys. The real question is going to be, can this team hit some shots and score some points? Um, you know, a lot of the same structural flaws that were there before are still in place. And that's without Fred Van Vliet, who was certainly a guy who could generate a bunch of offense and did last year, even though his shooting wasn't where he would have wanted it to be. Um, so I'm very curious to see what happens with the Raptors. I, I have been encouraged by the way Scotty Barnes has played. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been off to a good start. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been good to see. But, you know, you look at a, you look around the Eastern Conference and – you know, Indiana looks a lot better. Orlando, I mean, they lost the last two nights in L.A., but two very encouraging performances from a young team uh, on the road in L.A. and back-to-back nights against playoff caliber teams. Um, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of competition for those top ten spots in the East. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, as you, and I both, as you guys both know, it's a difficult schedule the next couple weeks for the Raptors. I thought – the, the way Pascal talked about it the other day, saying, you know, these are some important games. You don't usually talk, hear people talk like that in the early part of November, but I, I do think there's some credence to it, given the fact that you could be looking at being in a pretty big hole pretty fast, and then you have to spend a lot of energy trying to dig out of it. So, you know, we'll see where things stand over the next couple of weeks, but, you know, certainly been an interesting start for the Raptors and, you know, we might be looking back in a, in a few weeks and circling those two games against Chicago and Portland and, and saying those were, were pretty pivotal games, depending on how this next stretch plays out. For sure. All right, Tim, we're going to let you go, but appreciate you for joining us on the line. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll listen for you on the Hoop Collective, obviously. All right. Appreciate you guys. It's always good catching up with you. Let me know when I can hop on again. All right, we will. We will. Okay. Um, I guess bring us back here. I know Alex has made a special request to our producer. <laughs> so we want to take that, Alex. Why'd you do that, man? No, we've been talking about, I know obviously Nick Batum uh, was involved in this uh, James Harden H- High usage on uh, Nick Batum on this episode. And, and um, yeah, there's a rapper. I need to find out the name of this rapper, but um, he, he had a Nick, Nick Batum drop uh, in, in, I believe, a freestyle. So here's the bar that he dropped. Floor seats, crypto, I got my tool in. Fourth quarter yelling, water. So yeah, there we go. I mean, that's gonna be his new cl- lethal weapon. That's gonna dropped. be his Clipper legacy. I know Nick Batum was like, uh, that's like not quiet- his Clipper legacy. That actually is his Clipper legacy because <laughs> I think you know he, he has been like quietly important for that team, and I think he actually will play a role in Philadelphia as well. Um, he's you know, but yeah, that 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 is his legacy. All right. Uh, by the way, uh, the Clippers have already traded Philip Petrashev. Uh, to the Kings with oh. cash, according to Woj. Ooh, where are the Sacramento Kings the Sacramento or, or the Kings. L.A. Kings? Because he sounds like a left winger. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. need to know Sweden. how much cash, man. <laughs> All right. Where does Frank Korkmaz figure into this? <laughs> yeah, you can't can't buy a plane ticket out of there. Uh, time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. <laughs> Will Lou, the Raptors are five-point underdogs tonight. The over-under is set oh. at 224. Precious Achua remains okay. doubtful, and Christian Coloco out. On the Bucks side, Marjan Beauchamp is probable. How you feeling? First of all, Marshawn Beauchamp 
Very fun name to say. Just, oh, yeah. Just try saying it. That's, it's a good mouthfeel. Herbie, Herbie is going to lose his mind. Mahjong, Mahjong. You just, uh, just invited me to a game of Mahjong. <laughs> what are you doing? Yo, his name kind of does sound like that. Uh, no, seriously, elite name. But, um, yeah, listen, I think I know the Bucks have been really struggling defensively. But, uh, you know, there are some matchup issues um, that comes against playing them. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, I would like to see which one Giannis defends between Pascal or Scotty. Mm. That'll really determine what opposing teams think is the number one option. Because, you know, um, we're seeing Giannis now defend sort of these guys. I mean, we've seen Giannis defend Pascal in the past as well. Less so with Scotty, but, you know, we'll... we'll Scotty, Giannis. Yeah, like, can, can either of those guys, like, do anything against Giannis? Because I think... You know, if you if you cut off any of their scoring, I mean, like, damn, like the Raptors are really going to struggle with this one. You're definitely going to need to hit some threes. Um, you know, I think you can't have a repeat of four of 29. This is the stating the obvious. And um, yeah, for some of those things, I would probably say the Raptors should go under again. Like I keep saying, the, the Raptors under right now is, is free money. And look, the Bucks are 27th in defense so far. However, they are still the best team in the league in terms of uh, expected opponent field goal percentage. So based on where you allow your shots, oh, brother. <laughs> uh, so they still do. They still do a very good job keeping teams away from the rim yes, yeah. and at least forcing your three point shots to come above the break rather than okay. in the corners. The Raptors, by the way, uh, this is from Keeks. Uh, only five corner threes made through four games. Only three players, I believe. Yes, have Dennis hit corner threes. Schroeder, uh, OG Ananobi and Grady Dick are the only Raptors players to hit corner threes. They've combined for five. Uh, since I mentioned Schroeder, uh, do you have him on Dame to start? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But I mean, I'm I'm still stunned at that stat. My goodness, the um, five corners. That five corner threes is what you should have in a game. Period. Anyways, I'm gonna. You know wow. what, guys? I'm. Uh, what's the spread yeah, tonight? My, uh, Raptors are five point underdogs. You know what? The Raptors gonna win tonight, man. I'm gonna take the Ooh. points. Raptors plus five. You guys. You guys all keep talking about this, like, you know, one in 10 start that they're going to be they're on. They're not going to be on a one in 10. It's a must win. It's a, it, like Bontemp said, like, these are early must wins. Okay. And, you know, I think the Raptors are, you know, I think they're ready tonight. I'm thinking they'll pull off the upside. I'm guaranteeing the win tonight. The Raptors, Raptors plus five. have as many corner threes as Quentin Grimes has hit individually. Uh, fewer than Bruce Brown. You mean Brown. you was not him? Quentin Grimes Quentin, has yeah. as many threes? Quentin Grimes from season seven of The Simpsons? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's Grimey. What we're talking about. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he has hit as many corner threes as the Toronto but lock Raptors in, lock so far. in, lock in for me. The Raptors right. plus five. I don't, and I'm, I'm not keeping track of this. So you can lock it in, but no, I'm, okay. I'm gar- you know I ain't keep track. <laughs> All right, this might be Alex's only pick. Of that the was between the lines. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Will Alex is very very confident. All right, take a chance. How you feeling, man? man? Take How a chance. Feeling? I'm feeling great, man. You know, take uh, a chance. No, I meant about the Toronto Raptors basketball. Oh, club. I thought you were going to be like, yeah, I'm going to Uniqlo after this and then going to the game. Like, I'm yeah. going to have a great day. Derek, can I hear that You got time. It's an early start tonight. I Derek, know. can I hear that rap one more time? Floor seats, crypto, I got my tool in. Fourth quarter yelling, why the f*** tool in? <laughs> so good, man. Oh, man. We need somebody in Philadelphia to take up that mantle. Maybe Meek Milk can get on that. Anyway, we're going to wrap it here. I've been your host, Willie. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Night Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts uh, and subscribe and please rate and review the show. Actually, just want to pass along a special note, sending our best wishes to Storm and Norm Rumack. Definitely grew up listening to him quite a bit and uh, he's been dealing with uh, just life in general. So, um, you know, best wishes. And yeah, thanks again to Eric, Name, Mark Stein, Tim Bontemps, Blake Murphy, producer and co-host Alex Long, board producer Derek Randown, Jennifer Rolnick, David Sis, and Jeremy Manitad for helping me behind the scenes. We'll be back to talk to you tomorrow.